I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Gadigal people of the Enora Nation. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. Anton called me and like, and then we chatted and I was like, oh, I don't want a full-time job. Oh God, no, 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 no. It sounds like hell. But also the project sounds really amazing. And actually I really want to do it. All right, why don't we just do it? And he's like, oh, okay, cool. So you do want to do it. I'm like, yeah. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Miffy Rigby is a name tantamount to great food, drinks, and the hospitality venues of Australia. Last seen behind the wheel editing the Sydney Morning Herald, an age good food guide, and previously chief food and drink editor of Time Out magazine. We often hear about Miffy's favourite haunts and recommendations, but today I want to hear more about Miffy, the woman who always has her finger on the pulse. Hi Miffy, thanks for joining me. Shante, hi. Thank you so much for making the time. It's such a pleasure. I've been wanting to get you on this pod for so long. Oh, it's exciting to be here. I just I just love to chat. <laughs> Perfect. That's all we need. I firstly want to ask about your leg. I feel like you're in a cask forever. Is that finally off? Oh, it's finally off. I'm sort of hobbling about. I'm uh, I'm I'm walking now, which is huge news, I must say. Although it's just it's so disheartening. It's like I was listening to this other podcast this morning with Richard Feidler and it was all about uh, like kind of lengthening your lifespan and they were like do you have trouble picking things up? Do you often forget things? Are you a slow walker? And I'm like, yes, and I'm only 41. It's just, <laughs> I'm geriatric at the moment. Ugh. Oh, you poor thing. I feel like that was a really long process. What the hell did you do to yourself? Oh, it was a, it was a, it was a failed acrobatic trick at university that I just never really dealt with. And then over the the course of the the next 20 years of working in hospitality, spending a lot of time on my feet and and functionally just ignoring the injury, I I ended up just having my feet sort of riddled with arthritis. They had to give me open foot surgery and scrape out all the arthritis out of my feet, re-break all the bones, shape the foot into a different shape. It was hell. Oh my God. No wonder you're in a cast for so long. Cause I was like, what happened? Was she hit by a car? What's going on? Oh, you poor thing. I wish I'd been hit by a car. It would have been a much cooler story than I tried to do a backflip and like did a belly flop. Oh my God. You poor thing. I mean, I feel like you really tried to keep your spirits up and there was lots of positivity on your gram, but I felt for you because the itchiness and everything going on over that period of time, man, Actually, it was the stink more than the itchiness. Like, you know, when you're like, you wear a cast for three months and you accidentally get it like slightly wet, you just, you smell like a dead body. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. I feel for you. And I feel for your partner. <laughs> oh, you should feel for him because he had the worst time. It was just like, <laughs> we like this, made this pillow fort between us in the bed. And like, I, I sort of like made all these like crazy contraptions with like thick socks and bicarb soda. And like, I was like, I don't, I like, this is a recipe for divorce. It's just terrible for everyone. Oh my goodness. Well, thank God you came through it. Congratulations on surviving that. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Onwards and upwards. Miffy, your career has been nothing short of stardom. It's often referred to as the best job in the world, but can you walk us through how you found yourself in food food journalism? Sure. I mean, it was, it's, it's a kind of a series of, of unlikely events. So, um, I, 
I was a short order cook for a long time. I was a, an early school leaver. I, I just, I never really connected with the Australian education system. I'm more of a, and I know this now with the benefit of hindsight, but I was always a storyteller. I could always weave these fantastic essays and, and, and big pieces of writing. But what I couldn't do was sit in a room and learn by rote. And so I actually, I was convinced I was a complete moron for a really long time. And so I left school just after I was 16 because I just, I like, I guess um, some people would probably describe it as like, I'm a, I'm a sort of a, a visual learner. So I can go away and, and read a lot of books and come back and describe to you what it is that I have seen or, or read. But um, if somebody like gives me a series of facts and says regurgitate them, it's like you're speaking a foreign language. So I just, I found I was, yeah, I really just couldn't connect with it. So I, I quit school early. I started working actually at Pancakes on the Rocks. Uh, yeah. And I started off washing dishes there and, and very soon started flipping pancakes and making crepes. And I actually worked there for quite a few years. It was a really fun job when you're like young and aimless. And I made a lot of real, I've made like a real, a lot of really, really good friends that I still have today working there. Uh, and so I did that for a few years until it got to this point where my dad, who is kind of my, my big rock was just like, dude, what are you, what are you doing? Like it's your bet, your better than washing dishes and making pancakes like there's there's got to be more to it like have you considered going back to school I'm like I can't do it dad you don't understand and then we sort of together um had a look into the TAFE system and I I went back and did my HSC at TAFE over the course of a year which you can do and but it's very research based so basically it's uh you can choose the subjects and they basically get you to write an essay a day for for the course of a year. It's pretty intense. Like you can't work in that time. It really is a full-time job. And in that time, I realized, that, oh, I'm not a moron. I just couldn't learn the way I was being taught. And through the process of, of, of that, of, of going to TAFE, and I just, I'm TAFE's number one fan for this. I um, love that. Yes, TAFE is wonderful. And I'm, I'm, I'm really, really pissed off that they're pulling all of the, the funds out of TAFE because without TAFE, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, so so uh, through the process of, of a year of research-based learning, I realised that I could write and that I could read and that I deserved a place at university. And so I sent myself off to uni at CSU uh, where I studied uh, theatre actually and realized, and that was actually also where I broke my leg. <laughs> it all links back, it all links back. But uh, it, it was there that I also learned that, you know, there, there are so many different ways to express yourself. So I found that I'm not much chop as an actor or a performer, but I love to write scripts and I love to design costumes and I love to make sets. And so what I realized is what I really love is sort of being behind the scenes and telling other people's stories. And so while I was at uni, I also worked full-time in kitchens there as well. So I kept cooking all the way through uni. Um, I was never very good at it. I was always just like a short order cook, not serious. But I like I always just loved being in hospitality because it felt a lot more familiar to me. It felt a lot more comfortable than probably like 
a lot of the uni students, well, the university culture, it didn't, it never really kind of clicked with me, but I liked having that mix. And, and then over the years, I sort of, um, you know, I, I, I met Pat Nurse, who was my partner for a long time, and he suggested that I try my hand at food writing and really helped me a lot in those early years. And, um, and to be honest, I was just lucky at that point. I got a series of kind of gigs with street press mags and I was writing for free a lot. And I was just, I was just writing a lot. Um, and I would suggest for any young writers out there, if you're keen to try, the best thing you can do is do it for free. Find someone who is kind of sympathetic to your cause and just write your ass off because that's how you get better. Um, so, so yeah, I just, I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And, um, so I had a couple of street press gigs and then time out approached me actually, while I was working at the, the fish market, uh, and I was managing their kitchen there sort of doing a lot of ordering for chefs and uh, working back of house there, which is also how I got to know like a lot of the, the really named Sydney chefs that I, I didn't have a lot of uh, connection with before that. And and so, yeah, another sort of weird series of, of lucky flukes and a confluence of events. I was uh, I was just sort of picked up by time out to, to start as their section editor for the food and drink section with this magazine that had never been launched before. And I was like, don't hire me. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never worked in an office. I don't even know how to use a computer properly. Stop. Like you're making a terrible choice were my exact words to the launch editor, Angus Fontaine. And he was like, no, I like you. I like your writing style. You'll learn the office. You'll learn the other stuff on the job. I want you. You have to come and do it. And What a legend. Yeah, I took a really big risk because, well, it was more their risk than mine, to be honest. But um, I took this risk and, uh, and it paid off. It was really horribly hard for years, like learning on the job like that, learning publicly, learning um, what you can and can't do, what your limitations are. Um it's all like, I think I was in tears every day for the first year, but after that I, I, I sort of toughened up and I, I learnt how to, I suppose, uh, how to like work the system a bit, how to make it work for me. And one of the really cool things about being a young writer and having a magazine like Time Out, which at the time was just zero limitations as far as your imagination and your resources would go, you can just write whatever. And I kind of feel a bit sad. I don't feel like there are a lot of options for writers like that anymore. But back then it was just like the Wild West. Man, I mean, I, I think it's so interesting what you just said about, you know, writing a lot, writing for free when necessary. There's so much advice out there these days, especially for young people up and coming um, and what they sh- what their steps that they should do. And my mindset's always been, if I say yes, I have a new opportunity and then I learn from it. And even if it doesn't pay, I'm going to learn something from it. And I think that often great things come out of just putting yourself out there. So it's really nice to hear you say that because there's also a lot of people out there that say, you know, you shouldn't write for free, that, you know, your time is worth money and all of these things. But at the end of the day, if you're wanting to develop a new skill, you just got to get out there, right? Absolutely. And look, that is absolutely that your time is worth money but it's only worth money when someone wants to pay you for it. So yeah. when you're when you're starting out, your time is not that valuable because no one knows who you are or what you're good at. Your time becomes valuable when when you're a wanted commodity. 
So I would suggest while there are people out there who are unknown, but maybe wonderfully promising, even if you just write a few bits and pieces on spec, and by on spec, I mean like you'll send that to an editor, they'll read it. If they want to publish it, they will. They probably won't pay you for it. Um, they might if it's awesome enough. Um, what what you're doing when you're writing for free is you're, is you're kind of also like an editor's time is very valuable and it's a and it's very time consuming job. So if they're taking the time to edit your work and make you better, that's costing mm. them money. Yeah. Um, and, and you're also getting so much out of that when you see the, you know, the edits, right. Of like, I, I waffled on too much here. I need to get to the point. You're, you're actually getting something so valuable from them. Absolutely. You are. And look, I'm not saying that anyone should work for free ever, but I, I did, I worked for five cents a word at one point. I've worked for free over the years for magazines. I've just loved, but maybe haven't been quite good enough to write for, but they've taken me anyway. And I've, Every single time I've done something like that, I've learned something and been, a- been able to put that into my artillery. Um, and like, so I, I think when you're new, there's nothing wrong with doing a few bits and pieces here and there for free, just so you can get your foot in the door. Yeah. And you also highlighted the fact that you said that your editor from Tie Out, um, you know, said that he could teach you so much of those kind of office skills. I love that because they can be taught. It's really that attitude and that edge that you you provided that someone was able to be like, look, we can work out the rest, which I just think is so um, wonderful of that person to, to see that in you and, and, and take a chance. That's awesome. Oh, God, absolutely. <laughs> like it's a big chance to take. But um, I think all good editors will take that chance when they see the raw talent and I have before in the past as well you just you know when you see it it's kind of rare and and you want to grab it and you want to be able to shape it and help that person as much as possible because really great talent doesn't come along that often yeah that's so awesome I love that um talk us through some of the highs and lows of your profession I mean I'm sure that we imagine some of the the greatest of the greats but what's some of the 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 hard yards and the the grind work like you said there was a lot at the start but the everyday stuff yeah look the everyday stuff is like I guess um with any awesome looking job is 10% of it is awesome and then 90% of it is graft like uh, (laughs) it just is I mean I don't suppose it's any different from being a sommelier in a lot of ways like uh, forgive me if I'm if I'm wrong here but you know I guess from the outset it's like oh wow how amazing to be able to put together those beautiful wine lists and trial that wonderful wine all day and and share that knowledge with other people how fantastic but I would probably put money on the other side of it that you spend a lot of time in spreadsheets costing out exactly per mil how much like you can charge for a glass of wine the stress of dealing with different suppliers every day how much to order all of that admin takes up way more time than anyone ever thinks and it's the same with food writing like a lot of food writing is organization like it's a lot of it is um spreadsheets and interviews and um and then constant research and all of that stuff is is also kind of interesting and fun and part of the job and you just learn to love it but it's not all sitting in restaurants and kind of eating delicious food and also the delicious food is probably only five percent of the time 75 to 80 five percent of the time it's just kind of whatever and then if you kind of either really lucky or unlucky on each end of the scale you've got like five percent of awfulness and five percent of wonder and then in the middle you're like "Eh, 
It is what it is. Do you think that that's the most common misconception is that every meal you have out is one you want to write about? Or do you think it's that people just think that you are just eating and drinking your way around town most of the time? I think that most people would see it as this incredibly like flouncy, easy gig because in a lot of ways it is. In a lot of ways you do get to go to restaurants and try wonderful food and um and, and drink wonderful booze and and generally, yeah, flounce around in cool outfits. That's fun. <laughs> it's really fun. But um but there's a lot of uh concentration that goes into it too. Like you learn very early on, for instance, like how to conduct a conversation with somebody at the table while being completely aware of your surroundings and taking mental notes about every single thing that you see and hear. So you, you, it's like you're this double person. There's a person who's like sitting there looking like they're engaged, but actually in their mind, they're like, ah, I see that like that table over there has been waiting X amount of time for their meal. While that table over there who ordered like after that table didn't, why is that? What did they order? And, or, or like, um, you know, a particular waiter or waitress or serving person is paying more attention to that table, but ignoring that table. What's that about? Or like, so you're always kind of like thinking about what you're eating, what you're seeing, the environment you're in, how noisy it is, what you can smell, how it feels, all of that stuff constantly. It's like, it's quite an attack of the senses. Like when you do that on a daily basis. Yeah, I can imagine so. And it's the same, I suppose, like you said, with wine, you, you, you taste a lot of wine and sometimes it's a job. Sometimes it, 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 you know, you are just going through the motions and checking off things. And, 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 and I suppose your job is also to write about the wonders of your job. You know, it's not to write about the really hard times and the really, the grind work that you do every day and be like, God, this job. So everybody sees that, that, that shiny um, side of what you're doing. Absolutely. And you know what? No one cares about my spreadsheets, but they should because they're fascinating. <laughs> no, one, no one cares. No one cares about spreadsheets. No one cares that like you have to get up at 5.30 or 6 o'clock every morning and exercise before you even start your day because like you don't want to get any fatter than you already are and you don't want to get heart disease. And, and, like, and then the rest of the day, generally, you'll be spending writing and organizing and organizing other people's writing and organizing other people's restaurant experiences and booking stuff and and um and all of that gear that kind of supports the fact that at night you go to a restaurant but the the going out at night bit is the smallest part of the equation yeah Absolutely. It sounds like a lot of work. And, and it sounds like once you've got it down to a, a fine art, it, 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 you know, all the cogs are in motion and it all works, but it does sound like there's a lot going on, you know, in your life at the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, I would also say once all the cogs are in motion and you've got it down to a fine art, it's probably time to quit because <laughs> because that's boring. Yeah, totally. Um, if the last few years have been very trying to say the least. What have you learned about yourself over the last few years? God. Um, what have I learned? I mean, for me, it wasn't really that much of a period of self-reflection. It was more a period of like complete unabridged, like unabridged terror because I watched my entire career just fall to bits. There's like, I couldn't do my job anymore. And like, I stayed employed that whole time and um, the Sydney Morning Herald were 
always made sure that I had work to do, which was fantastic. But the job, my core job, the job that I had been trained and worked to do for the past 15 years before that just disappeared in front of me. And it was, um, it was, it was pretty, bloody devastating. I mean, but I also feel like I can absolutely never complain because I kept my job. And I think that if you got to keep your job, that is like, I don't think that you have any right to say that you had a challenging time. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think it's interesting because, um, you know, we all kind of experience that differently, but at the same time, you know, we had to survive and we had to just get by on whatever it is. And, and now we're in at this new time, you know, and I think that, um, I mean, I, you certainly learnt to bake some pretty amazing loaves of bread. I saw, I saw a few of those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was like, all I did was like make sourdough, which I guess like I really lived the tragedy. Right. But actually like my baking got really, really good. And I can I have continued to do it because it, it is a lovely meditation baking and um, it, I weirdly have a skill for it. So that's nice. That is nice. I've never even attempted it. I was like, nah, 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 that looks way too hard. <laughs> it, it, it was really hard for the first six months. And then I worked it out. And, uh, and, and now it's like, I just kind of just let the fermenting do its work. And uh, actually, at this time of the year, it's now perfect. Like it's kind of crisp and a bit cooler. So it doesn't over ferment. And um, it's too quickly. And you get that nice slow proof. It's a good time to be baking bread, Shanti. I'm telling you, I feel like there's so much confidence that's just got to go into it. Like, okay, I know the process and that, whereas I just feel like so sad about my own skills that I was like, nah, there's no confidence. I'll definitely mess it up. <laughs> I actually nailed focaccia the other week, which oh, weirdly delicious. you would think would be the easiest thing in the world. But for me, for some bizarre reason, I couldn't get my head around it. I couldn't get my head around it at all. And it just took this maid of mine to to like take this bon appetit recipe and go well we use that but then we also do these other things to it and that's how it works and then I did those other things like oh now I understand focaccia and so I I've nailed that too, which was wonderful. Oh, man. It's a very big moment for me, nailing focaccia, even better than sourdough. I have to say, yeah, good focaccia when it's all fluffy and crisp and, oh, my mm. God, heaven. Delicious. So what, you know, what do you, when you're not going out, what do you, what's the kind mm. of menu at home? What do you like to eat and drink at home? Well, my partner actually cooks most of the time at home at the moment because... Uh, bless. Bless. Thank God, because I'm working a million hours a day launching a, a new magazine currently, which we'll get to, but um, I, I, like, basically wake up, go to work, come home, and I'm just rooted. So because he's a horticulturalist, he, he gets home at 3, 3.30 in the afternoon, so he can actually do the cooking these days. But so... And because he's also, like, really fit, I've, like, kind of been put on a bit of a diet at home so it's a lot of <laughs> it's a lot of salad oh I bet they're delicious salads they are really delicious but like the difference between my cooking and his cooking is is, is large I I I like to cook with a lot of you know all the tasty shit um I you know pork fat is one of the five key food groups for me um but he is, he's, he's a little more austere. So I'm, I'm eating a lot of really lovely brown rice salads currently. 
Delightful. Do you get a martini with those salads at least? Well, I'm in charge of the drinks, so at least there's always there's always something delicious to drink. Um, I've been convincing him on the power of the long martini lately, like the martini and soda. Mm, delicious. I'm like, it's a, I know, I was like, I tricked him. I'm like, it's a diet drink. It's fine. He's like, oh, what, a diet drink? I'm like, absolutely. So martinis and sodas are kind of a big drink at home. Um, and... He doesn't really like bitter things. So while I, I like, you know, a good Trinidad sour or I, I like um, I like an old pal or or any kind of fernet based drink or hanky panky is probably one of my favorites. Oh, yum. Yeah. He's more of a beer guy or like a, a, a long martini guy. So that sometimes kind of dictates what I'm drinking at home. But getting him on the wine bus has been an interesting an interesting one. Oh, how come? Because mm, um, he hasn't had a lot of experience with it and he's very much used to drinking, uh, you know, your big jammy reds and then complaining of a headache because of it. I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> well, we've got a bit of work to do here. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't, I don't know how much you want to go down that route, Miffy, because sooner or later he'll be asking you for champagne and Chardonnay and, you know, some good gamay and you'll be like, damn it, who's going to drink these Big old Shirazes that I put aside for you. Shit, I've been I've been selling these huge Shirazes for years. No, so it is um it's it's kind of a cool learning process too to kind of like pull it back and go, all right, what are the sort of things that I think that you will enjoy, or how can I lead you into this and get you to try some things that you might not have been open to, but that won't be off putting. It's a, it's pretty cool for me to be able to sort of do that as well. Yeah. I agree. And I think that my partner drinks beer and he doesn't mind, you know, wine. He enjoys a good Pinot Noir, but he doesn't ever really want to talk about it. He knows if he likes it, he doesn't. And I love that. I'm like, great. Here, try this. He's like, yeah, that's good. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It's pretty great. He also doesn't particularly like going to restaurants. Um, <laughs> just like he loves food. He loves to eat. He loves the culture of food. He loves to grow it. But restaurants to him, he's like, what the fucking restaurants are for wankers? No. I'm like, okay, we'll keep that bit separate. But um, it is, it's really interesting. So he's got his restaurants that he loves, like Fire Door, Esther, St. Peter. So he, like, yeah. So he loves those places that have this really, really kind of close connection to the thing that they do. Um, and, and that's, I think, kind of very encouraging as well. It's like if you can kind of sort of see like the, the individuality in those places and, and, and the specialness with, with the way that they, they kind of look at food, if that's your kind of preferred mode of transport in a restaurant, then I'm all for it. Yeah. And also places that are really um, quite warm in terms of personalities when you walk in the door. I mean, that's God, got to make you feel pretty good. I have to say, I feel like I'm falling a little in love with your partner because he's got some pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty nice uh, opinions on things. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sydney feels like it's getting its buzz right back. The other day, I left work at about twelve thirty a.m. and I saw a couple pashing on the sidewalk. Aww. Some were throwing up in the gutter. Oh, guys, being thrown out of a pub. Yeah, and I was like, yes, we're getting back, baby. So let's talk about more exciting things. Tell me about. What's happening with you? Ah, oh, so I quit my job. That was a fairly large thing. So I quit the Sydney Morning Herald at the end of last year after seven years. Um, and it felt like the right time. I think that uh, 
I think that there is always something to be said for, as I was saying before, when you feel like you've nailed all those patterns and you've nailed your kind of your work in that you can just clock in and clock out, then you should probably quit your job. That's always my, has been kind of my MO. I, I like staying really engaged. I like to be really, really challenged. I like to feel like it's hurting a bit because then I feel like I'm learning. And, um, and I also think with something like the Good Food Guide, you, because of the very nature of that job, it's very, um, it is really, really patterns oriented. It's like, and maths, it's like, these are the restaurants, these are the scores, this is how you get to the score. And it's like, you almost kind of start to see restaurants like kind of in the matrix. Like it's just like numbers, 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 numbers. And I, I think I found in the end that I've, I really reacted to that. And what I wanted most, and I guess maybe this is a really good learning from a couple of years in lockdown, is that my biggest interest lies in other people and telling their stories and finding their quirks and, and, and highlighting all the exciting shit they're doing. And I wasn't getting enough opportunities to do that where I was. Well, the stories always had to be within kind of, I guess, the, the Sydney Morning Herald sort of core readership. And I actually have always thought that the idea of a readership is a bit silly. Like anyone should be able to pick up anything and learn something and enjoy something. Like I feel like the, the New Yorker really nails that. Um, and, and so uh, interestingly, when I quit my job, Anton Forte of Swill House actually texted me that day and said he wanted to start a magazine and did I want to come and work with him? That day? Yes, I quit with no plans. I quit to just quit because I couldn't stand it anymore and just wanted to like wash my hands of a full-time job. I just was like, I just want to freelance. I want to tell lots of different stories. I want to have some more variety in my day, blah, blah, blah. I guess like I say it out loud now and I just sound like a total brat. But so (laughs) I just really want to just like hang out by the beach and have work-life balance. Mm. No. So... Anton, yeah, Anton called me and like, and then we chatted and I was like, oh, I don't want a full-time job. Oh God, no, 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 no. It sounds like hell, but also the project sounds really amazing and actually I really want to do it. All right, why don't we just do it? And he's like, oh, okay, cool. So you do want to do it? I'm like, yeah. That's how they get you. That's how they get you. That's how they get you. Gave me to offer too good to refuse. So now for the past month or so I've been working really closely with him and the fantastic team at Swillhouse uh coming up with a whole new magazine how exciting and I, it's it's I have to say even if I wasn't spruiking it because it was my own thing it's I would be so excited to talk about it even if I wasn't working for it it's that exciting it's this 180 pages A3 absolute beautiful cultural digest where we celebrate hospitality but then we also celebrate photography and music and fashion and art and film and books and but everything through the lens of hospitality so we tell these big stories and find just different angles to kind of highlight the good great extraordinary weird sad and kooky 
and um, in that true kind of schoolhouse fashion, which celebrates all things that are different, um, it's it's kind of what we're doing with this magazine. And um, I don't know. I suppose you could say there are shades of of Lucky Peach, but it also really isn't. It's it is in that it's it's quite esoteric and um, kind of not been done before. But that's kind of where the similarities end. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's going to be a hell of a thing. Uh, you know, as soon as I read the um, the release, I, I, automatically my brain was going to, oh, what do I want this to be? Like I already had like, oh, I'm excited about this because I love art and I, I love food. And like you said, I love hearing stories from people and telling them and, and yeah, the good, the bad and the ugly. And I just, I started, you know, thinking maybe it's like going to be like Gastronomica meets Aesthetica or Juxtapose. And I just started getting so excited thinking, what was this going to look like? And I just think, you know, it's exactly what we kind of need right now. It's exactly what Sydney, it needs, you know, to have this excitement and for you to be able to be telling those and putting them together. And like you said, if it's just a beautiful book, that's a coffee table book, that's got beautiful pictures, that even thrills me. So I think this is really exciting. I'm massively excited. So think of it like a kind of a coffee table book slash magazine hybrid that can, it, it because it's sort of matte paper, it's meant to be rolled up. You're meant to want to be able to use it, but also want to collect it. It's, it's an interesting mix. Um, and it's the sort of thing where, because we're doing two issues a year and they're big, you it's, you know how, with say Architectural Digest or New Yorker, you get X amount of them per year and they often just pile up because you can't read them all. This is sort of spaced out in a way that you can actually properly read each issue and feel like you're actually getting real value out of it, which is something that's very important to me as an over-reader. I, I really like the, I really want to feel like the person who has picked it up and bought it gets real value from it. They can actually read it over the course of a month or two, pick it up, put it down, find something new. That's what it's all about. Wow, it's going to be amazing. I mean, did you say two a year? Two a year, so 180 pages is holy is large. and It's large, but that's exciting. That's like getting ready for a book release, you know, like holy crap. Exactly. So it's like basically two book releases a year. Wow. There's going to be so much in it. I mean, that's really exciting and, um, yeah, but terrifying also. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Every day I wake up and I'm like, oh, it's like starting at a new school. I'm like, I don't want to go. It's too hard. I'm like, no. Waddle your hour long, which should be a 20 minute walk. Waddle your hour long way to work and you think about it and you work out what the day is going to look like. You've got this. And so, yeah, it's like a little pep talk every morning because it is this it's a it's like chewing a whale it's huge but it's like also this team of real true believers who work here and i think that that is what you need to to be releasing a print product in 2022 you know yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really makes sense that Swill House is behind this and and um, 
in in you know my mind's eye I'm like this makes a lot of sense but it is nice to hear you kind of talk about some of the feelings that you have behind that like a lot of us do but with your success of your career you know some days it is about just going you know just get out the door just put one foot in front of the other you'll work it out as you go you may not have the answers right now and I love that you share that because I think a lot of people think they shouldn't be feeling that way and that's just uh it's all part of it isn't it oh everyone should feel afraid and like a failure at least once a week Otherwise, you're not trying hard enough. Exactly. (laughs) You're not risking enough. Totally. So in the digital and social media age of today, the nonstop videos, the photos, why do you think writing is so important? Because it's a a better and more holistic storytelling method where you have to take time. You have to take the time to talk to another person face-to-face, hopefully, Um, or at least on the phone, you have to listen. You have to be actively engaged in what they're saying. And, you know, in quick social speak, it, I think that it trains you to, I guess like social media trains you to not listen so much, but to just, and your level of engagement is light. When it comes to writing proper stories, you've got to be heavily engaged. You've really got to listen and research and know who you're talking to and um and and then pulling in as much detail as possible and then weaving something that is a joy to read as much of it is as a joy to write it's a it's a big piece of work um and the importance of that is is the the way that you can distill the information uh in a way that it hasn't been done before that's what's important to me is being able to tell different stories about about people that have been, you know, I guess kind of highlighted a lot some of the time and or, t- or finding stories that, that about people that you've never heard of. That's even cooler. But being able to tell them in a way that makes you care about them as a reader. Yeah, that's so well said. You can't get that out of social media. You can't like, you can't like, the thinness of influences and like in terms of content, like the thinness of the, this, where's the richness? Where's the diversity? Where's the, the ability to find out exactly what makes someone tick, like squeeze their bones. You can't do that for social media. Can't squeeze a bone. <laughs> I think, you know, <laughs> there is so much that you just don't know what's fabricated these days either. And I think like you said, you have to dig when you're writing and you have to kind of filter through and sort it out and and find the words that really connect and tell. And, and that takes time and rewrites. And and so a lot of work goes in. And that's, that's what I love about writing too, is that like you said, you can make people really feel things from it, you know? Hopefully if you're doing your job properly, you can. And a lot of the time, I think, when it comes to interviewing people, which you would know as an excellent interview yourself, is is the ability to listen. Yeah. I think it's a skill that is really hard learned a lot of the time. But if you can be quiet, it's what is not said in those silent spaces that can really tell you a lot. Yeah, I totally agree because everybody does have an agenda these days, don't they? And they, they often get a bit carried away with that without just just being in the conversation. Just be still and listen. I think that's the most important informa- like advice I could give a young writer. It's just be still. Let it happen. Don't panic if it's not going well. Just let it roll out. 
Yeah. I've heard those, I've heard some of those words of advice before from Anthony Huckstep and I've always, uh, I've always thought that they were excellent, excellent advice. And I, and I totally agree. So I think Swill magazine is going to be in such incredible hands. I cannot wait to read and I know I'm going to have to be patient. When is the first, um, issue out? <laughs> oh God. Well, I want to tell you August, but I suspect it might be September at this point. It's um yeah it's it's a it's it's going to take a little while to get out but when it comes out it'll be worth it. Absolutely. Yep. We are we are going to patiently wait and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh sounds really exciting. Um thank you so much for taking time. I always ask everybody that's on the podcast, Miffy, if you'd only drink 3 beverages for the rest of your life, what would they be and why? Now, I did give this some thought. And I feel like two out of three of them, you'll, you'll be like, oh, yes, I, I, I completely can see that. And the third, maybe you won't, but I'm going to put it in there anyway. So my, my first is a double Gibson. So, yeah, so that way I can have four cocktail onions instead of two. <laughs> they should really be served with four. Come on. Yeah, but well, they should, but then they shouldn't because, like, you know, the whole point of a Gibson is that the two cocktail onions represent a pair of boobs. So... <laughs> That's true. It's true. So if you put four onions into a single Gibson, it's, it's too many boobs. But if you have a double Gibson, the four onions, that's fine. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. I love yeah. it. So that's my first drink. My second drink comes from a place of complete comfort, which is a chocolate milkshake, Ooh. but spiked with a few Valiums. Oh. So it makes it <laughs> for adult hour. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Yep. And then my third is a really, really crisp lager with a double nip of Ardbeg 1977 on the side. Oh, okay. Interesting. So smoky and then really refreshing. I can get down with that. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's like complexity and richness versus something that's just like a wash with freshness and then go back between the two. Yep. Exactly. I'm really happy you get that one. Good. Actually, I'm all on board for all three. I've never had a chocolate milkshake with Valium and I'm so open to it. Oh, you haven't lived. (laughs) (laughs) It's a coronavirus special. Oh, my goodness. Sounds delightful. (laughs) (laughs) On the to-do list from now on. Miffy, I'm so excited to hear about your new venture and your collective excitement about where, where we're at and the Sydney dining scene is so contagious. So thank you for chatting me today. I really hope our paths cross soon. I don't think I've ever laughed so much in a podcast. This has been such a delight. So thanks so much for making the time and best of luck with the release. Thank you so much and uh, pick up a copy when it comes out. I think you'll dig it. Certainly will. Thank you so much. Cheers to you, Miffy. Bye. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at overaglasspod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.